Welcome to We Fish ASA, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. My name is Steve Surley. I'm here with my partner, Dave Krantz. We Fish ASA is always pleased to offer you conversation with the most interesting, the most informative, the most entertaining, as well as some of the biggest names in the world of fishing. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association, in particular, St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Calcutta, makers of a lot of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion in Daiwa. Take a look at the new Tatula Elite Reel. You'll love it as much as we do. We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. It's available 24-7 everywhere you get podcasts. We are definitely national, easy enough to find. Don't forget, you can always find us at our website, wefishasa.com. Uh, Dave Kranz and I are at two separate locations in Northern Illinois. We do our recordings. We send them down to Lando Lakes, Florida, to our uh, executive producer, Brad Nearman. He puts it all together, makes it sound as good as it does. Hey, Brad, thank you very much. On uh, today's show, we welcome our regular visitor, Dan Johnston from St. Croix. We're going to visit with Gene Gilliland, the Director of Conservation for BASS. He is the newest inductee in the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame. Well-deserved honor for Gene. Also going to visit with one of the best walleye fishermen to ever hit the water, the one and only Chase Parsons off of a big victory in South Dakota. But first, let me turn it over to Dave Kranz, who's going to bring on our friend, Dan Johnston. I'm sure that what they have to talk about will help you catch more fish in the future. Hey, Dave Kranz, take it away. And as Steve said, I am Dave Kranz. This is the We Fish ASA podcast. And this segment is brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Welcome back, Dan Johnston. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. Uh, spring and we're, we we get to talk fishing. What's bad with that? Oh, I know. Yeah, it's it's like we've always said. It's like a like talking to an old friend. It's like we're out in the boat, which we need to do someday. We keep talking about that bucket list. And, and we are going to make that happen. You know, what's that? Oh, no, I'm just saying we need to get out. We do. We all need to be outside and do that. And, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people will wonder why uh, do you tie direct? Do you use a snap? Um, do you use a leader? Do you know, there's diff- so many different uh, questions out there about, about that. And I don't think we've ever really talked about this. You know, does it make a difference what kind of line we're using? And, and there's little different things, loop knots and things like that, that I think we've used or, you know, that maybe we can help some people with some of these uh, dilemmas online. What, what do you think? Yeah, it's a really cool topic. We could actually do an entire podcast on snaps, swivels, and leaders, and people are probably rolling their eyes, but we could. So let's get started. You know, to to break it to break it down. You know, we've got our swivel, a snap swivel. Obviously, that it goes around. That can either be a crane swivel or a ball bearing. Ball bearing being a lot smoother. Um, and then you got your snap, which could be a cross lock or something. That's literally just a, a quick version to interchange things out. But there's other reasons we use them too. And then you've got your leaders like you know pike and musky people who use those can be steel they can be fluorocarbon to this point you know where we tie it at we won't really get into that a whole lot but let's talk about snaps and snap swivels so you know when we're talking about a snap but the the number one and i'll just speak for myself the number one time i use them more than anything else is with crankbaits um and there's a couple reasons number one i can change them out really quick um which which really really works well plus for some crazy reason, even though you're tying to a crankbait, will have a split ring on it. But even though you're tying to us to that, you get a slightly different action when you put a snap to that. 
Um, and, and again, you can just change them out so quick. And there's a, uh, Gamakatsu makes a great one. There's a bunch of them on the market, but it's, it's a real a quick release or cross lock snap that we use for that. So it, it, it is a snap swivel is a whole nother ball game that I don't put on a crankbait, but I'll use it on a drop shot because believe it or not, sometimes in you, and, and this can be a snap swivel or just a swivel, but when you're dropping that thing down in 25 foot of water and reeling it back up, a lot of times your bait's going around, around, around on the way back up, and it can twist your line. And for that reason alone, um, I'll use it. Um, and then another time I'll use it, believe it or not, is in front of a floating worm. And the reason I use it in front of a floating worm is twofold. It keeps the line from twisting if you got to buzz it in. But secondly, believe it or not, that swivel provides just the perfect amount of weight pull that floating worm down a couple inches, which is really where you want it. So that's a little weedy, but that, that there's a couple examples for snap swivels. And the most obvious one is anytime we're throwing anything for all the new listeners that just got into fishing that are out there, you put a hook and a nightcrawler on, put a snap swivel in front of it. Cause a gob of nightcrawlers is going to go around like an airplane prop and we'll crash your line in three casts. So anytime we're using something that revolves a MEPS number three, for example, so any type of inline spinner that goes around, around, around swivels, just imperative. If all that makes sense. It, it does. And, and, uh, if, if think think of this pre-rigged worms where they tell you to put the pre-rigged worm to a swivel. You know, you got a split shot. I mean, that's going around in a circle. Can you imagine what that line would look like if you didn't put one on? It would be a mess. Two casts, you'd be done, and you'd be you'd be swearing at your reel, thinking something's wrong. And no, and I don't care what kind of line you're using. If you've got something that goes around and around and around like that, you need to get a swivel on it. And another great example is a Carolina rig. The swivel is used to get the weight, or, or a Lindy rig for walleye. The swivel is used to get the weight away from the hook and the bait. Number one, uh, and that's the number one reason. And you can put a you can put a, a glass bead in between the swivel, the swivel and the weight. And if you use tungsten, it can get really loud. But another reason why you do that is, again, when you're reeling things in all the time and throwing them out, uh, pre-rigged worms or anything like that, um, it, it, it reduces the twist in your line. So it's it's important for all of us to understand kind of what, where, why, and when we should use them. But we have to have them in our, in our tackle box because there's a lot of times where it, it's really mandatory. Yes. And, and going back to your tip about the floating worm, uh, how far in front do you use that, that crane swivel or ball bearing swivel? Yeah, and that's a great question because if you get it too far out, obviously I would want it, you know, quite a ways, but you, you never want to reel it up through your tip. I mean, I work for a rod company and we don't want to be replacing tips all the time because you're pulling a swivel up through there. I mean, that, that's a that's a no-fly zone. You can, you can do that with a knot, but not a swivel. Yeah. That said, I'll set that thing pretty short. Usually, David's about no more than two feet. Okay. But if I'm, if I'm in a wide open area where I have room to cast, I'll set it longer because I can kind of do a it's kind of, I have to show you, but it's kind of a big, long lasso whip cast where it's kind of out and around like the way I'll throw a cast a Carolina rig. But if I'm around targets, I'll set that thing a lot shorter. Like sometimes, even if you set it at a foot, you can still cast it accurately. But believe it or not, that little amount of weight will pull that floating worm down to that water column that's just, for some reason, it's the juice. I don't know why, but if you tie it direct, you don't get as many bites, or at least I don't. 
No, it makes sense. And and for just a little bit of clarification, I think the people are probably confused. Snap swivels, you know, um, the snap is used on something that doesn't rotate, and the the swivel is used on a bait that does rotate. Is that the simplest way to explain it? It is. It's complete. That's exactly what it is. And 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 by by rotate, that can mean live bait that spins around, or it can be anything artificial like a pre rigged worm, or even a um, it just anything that comes around when you reel it in, or thirdly, um, the type of baits that, like a, um, uh, how, how could like a, like an inline spinner that goes around and around on itself, and you might not think it is until you watch it. Watch a, a MEP number three when you're bringing it back through the water. That whole bucktail is going around and around and around back there, and it's absolutely twisting your line. No, no, no doubt. And then on the snaps, uh, like you said, there's many brands. Gamakatsu, uh, Lindy makes them, Bill Norman, Speed Clips. There's different ones. But the other thing for that is you don't have to retie as often. But if you catch two or three good fish, they definitely want to retie that snap even. Yeah, you know what, though? I don't retie the snaps very often. If I, I put a real good palomer on it, the fish isn't really getting at it, unless if I'm in really heavy cover. I don't retie it very often. Um, uh, you know, but but what I would say, let, let's take the converse of this whole thing. There's times we absolutely don't want one, too. And, and, and I'm going to speak for myself again. But if I'm, I would never in a million years put a snap or a swivel on a bass jig or any bottom contact bait ever. And because I would want fly fish a lot of those on floral or braid. I want it tied direct to that eyelet because I think it maximizes sensitivity. I don't want any play at all between the line, especially fluorocarbon, and the hook or the head of a bass jig, because I think it reduces feel. And that's that's extremely important. Any type of bottom contact bait, I will not, other than a Carolina rig, where we want the weight off the bait, I will never, ever use a snap or a swivel. And I totally agree, uh, not only uh, reducing sensitivity, but also if you're fishing in some heavier weeds or sometimes just that green filamentous algae where you get, it, it picks that up easier and you can't clean your bait off as easy. So yeah, I, I agree with you. That That's uh, definitely good advice. How about how about live bait? Is there a, a time that we do and don't use or or does that depend on the type of rig or... Well, yeah, anything, anything, again, if we're either on the cast or more importantly, the retrieve, if the bait is going around and around and around, it's pretty much mandatory. You have to use a swivel, a snap swivel. And believe it or not, a lot of people, when they're using a night crawler, they will put the snap swivel, they'll put the hook right on the snap swivel and put the crawler on it. We've been doing that ever since we were fishing with little cane one poles when we were kids and they just for whatever reason it doesn't seem to matter on the fish that you catch but again and you know dave we just real recently did a podcast on the all the new anglers getting into the sport the number one point we made on that podcast is help these people be successful there's no faster way to help somebody be unsuccessful it's leading them to a path where they throw two casts and their line's so twisted it comes out in a bird nest on the third cast. Snap swivel will avoid a lot of that. So if you're just getting started in fishing, a great rule of thumb, put a, put a good ball bearing swivel in front of everything you tie on till you figure out what twists your line and what doesn't. Start taking it off on your bottom contact baits. If you're crappie fishing with a jig or whatever, um, you can tie direct to that because a lot of those don't go round and round. But 
a lot of times, if you just put a, sna a snap swivel on it, it can be a black one, doesn't have to be a bright silver one. You're going to eliminate so many problems when you're just getting started fishing. Yeah, absolutely. Great advice. It always is. And uh, I'm glad we did this topic today and uh, definitely uh, look forward to talking to you again next week. Oh, it's always my pleasure, Dave. Look forward to it. Yeah, it's fun. That was Dan Johnston uh, brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. I am Dave Cran. Steve Siley is remote and the We Fish ASA podcast will be right back. Probably one of the number one questions I get, you know, what line do I use? That's a big debate. For every tour out there, everybody's debating which line. I choose the simple side. My choice of line is Sunline. My favorite lines to use is Sunline. How all can you use it? Anywhere you want to. Anywhere there's water and bass, it's good. Walleye, catfish, trout, speckled trout, sharks. There we go. Uh, I don't say this unless I think it's true, but honestly, it's the best in the market. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Rule your water. Rule it with a St. Croix rod. Whether you take to the lake, wade the rivers, or cast from shore, St. Croix provides responsive performance, ensuring your success below every surface. With a St. Croix rod in hand, you're a part of a celebrated tradition that has spanned 70 years. Touch, power, and control are right at your fingertips and extend to you the finest fishing experience on the planet. St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Welcome back to the Wheatfish ASA podcast. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote, and this segment is brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. Our next guest we had on about uh, oh three months ago, uh, he is Gene Gilead, and, and there's an honor that's going to be bestowed upon him this fall. He has been uh, nominated to the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame, and... Um, Pretty awesome uh, accomplishment. Uh, welcome back to the program, Gene. Well, thank you for having me. Yes, it's a very, very humbling honor to get in, in, included in the, the group of people that have been honored by the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame. It is, and, uh, you know, everybody that's there uh, has a passion for the outdoors, has a passion for the industry. You're, yourself, I know you co-authored a, a book, Keeping Bass Alive, and, and fish care and uh, everything that you're involved with, you know, doing a governmental affairs uh, committee with the American Sport Fishing Association, all the other things that, that you do uh for our industry and for the fisheries, and, and, and it's not just the fisheries, all the wildlife uh uh, benefits from us taking care of the waters and uh, but but yeah I, I think it's a, a great honor and I'm uh, uh, very uh, happy for you and and happy that uh, people like you get recognized because I hope it inspires others to do good for for our industry and and uh, you know I, I don't know I don't think it's anything anybody really dreams of happening but uh, you know is being involved in fisheries and the outdoors was was that what you wanted to do from a very young age? 
Oh yeah, from from the time I was uh, oh I don't know, I, I started bass fishing when I was you know like in uh, I don't know ten twelve years old something like that. Um, by the time I was a sophomore in high school, I knew what I wanted to do for a living. Uh, I wanted to be a fisheries biologist, and and it just sort of evolved from there over over the course of my life and uh, and career. And so yeah, it it uh, it's it's been a pretty long journey. I spent 32 years with the Oklahoma Wildlife Department, and now I've been uh, employed at BASS as the conservation director for seven years. And and I think uh, many times people just think, oh, all, all BASS does is uh, they run tournaments, you know, and they have a subscription to a magazine. But that's that's so far from what they do in the conservation area, isn't it? It, it really is. And, you know, a lot of what we do is behind the scenes. Uh, and a lot of it happens at the state level with our Bass Nation state conservation directors. Uh, you know, they're they're kind of the boots on the ground and the folks that are really getting a lot of things done at the local and state level, because that's really where bass management happens. It's with the state fish and wildlife agencies. It, it's not so much a federal issue. Uh, so a, a lot of times they're the unsung heroes uh, of what bass does as a conservation organization uh, to help support the fisheries that the sport is dependent on and you know that's that's one of the things that i've told people when i found out i was uh, being uh, inducted into the bass fishing hall of fame is that i hope that this will open the door for any number of other people who have contributed to the sport of bass fishing from the biology side from the the state agency side because without those people uh, creating and managing those bass fisheries we wouldn't have the sport uh, or the industry that we have today. No, and I think you're exactly right. The, the involvement of the states and the local level and education of those local tournament directors that are doing that from high school, collegiate, you know, uh, to opens, you know, all the way up up the line. I mean, and I think probably part of your job there has been to show that uh, these people need you want these people involved. You, you're an advocate for angler in, uh, involvement so that it's not, it, it multiplies many times over when every guy that's fishing in a tournament and their families and the friends they fish with uh, care about the resource. Sure it does. Sure it does. And, and it's not just tournament anglers. You know, there's there's an awful lot of anglers out there that, that don't involve get involved in tournaments. They, they just fish for fun. And, uh, but, but we very much want to help build good relationships and good partnerships between uh, the anglers and the state fish and wildlife agencies because that's in the long run that's going to make a lot more progress in in protecting and enhancing those fisheries if we've got everybody on the same page and we're all rowing in the same direction Yes. And, and, you know, you make a real good point. I think many of the people, I have a tackle store in Northern Illinois, and many of the people that come in and fish for bass, it is actually a very small percentage of them that fish any kind of tournaments, club tournaments, you know, local tournaments. Uh, right. they're, they're bass fishermen, and they may be a BASS member. They watch the television. They read the magazine. They do everything and follow the tournament circuits, but, but their pleasure is going out and fishing for fun and not making it competitive. Right, right, and and I think across the country, uh, 
that that's the rule rather than the exception. The uh, most of the states that have any any time they've ever surveyed their anglers, uh, it's usually way less than twenty five percent of the people that say they are bass anglers that have participated in tournaments. So it's it's a fairly small percentage of the total, but they're so visible. They're organized. They're out there. You know whether it's whether it's a bass club or whether it's a large organization like BASS putting on events, they're out there in the public eye. Uh, so it, it seems like there might be lots and lots more tournament anglers out there, uh, but when you compare it to the total number of fishermen uh, and people that are that say they are, are bass anglers, uh, the tournament crowd is, is still a, a fairly small percentage. Yeah, but a very meaningful part of it because they're the ones that the people are watching, and uh, and generally, if they're competing at at that any kind of level, they're probably uh, the better fishermen in that area. But not necessarily. I I know several guys that I have fished with that could compete very easily, but it's not what they want to do. They 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 go out, they right. want to relax. Right. Yeah, it's a different game sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and and you know that it it's uh it's a lot of folks just don't have that competitive drive, and but they're they're uh, you know the one thing that I will say about the the typical tournament angler is that for the most part, on average, those folks are the most avid of the of the anglers out there, and and that's part of why we try to build good relationships with the state agencies and our tournament groups is because as the most avid of anglers that the states have to deal with. You know, if you build good relationships there, that pays dividends for both sides. Yeah, and I think sometimes when you see tournaments getting run on smaller bodies of lakes, like you know, th- that happens, you know, on occasion with the, some of these smaller groups, and um, it opens the eyes of the people that fish there on a regular basis to how good, uh, how many fish are in those areas because they wouldn't know without having really good anglers go there. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's uh, and and the you know the publicity, the uh, the exposure, whether it's you know to social media or or the mainstream type media, uh, there, there's always going to be any any more uh, people will find out about those fisheries and learn more about them. And for the casual angler, uh, a lot of times those tournament the tournament anglers are the ones that are sort of setting the pace and learning about new techniques and new equipment and technology and that trickles down so that everybody can have a better fishing experience yeah and i think that probably helps the uh, people that are on pro staffs and, and having items developed for them uh, knowing what they want knowing what may work better or does work better helps the manufacturers come up with items that not just help those pros but help the everyday fishermen to be more successful and that's what we all want isn't it well sure sure then you know uh, obviously uh if the market was just the pro anglers, uh, not many businesses would stay in business. No. Uh, the the, uh, the industry depends on on uh, on a lot broader and uh, larger contingent of anglers out there purchasing products. And uh, but you're right, the the field testing and the development, the R and D, a lot of times that comes through the tournament organizations and the, the pro anglers and the sponsored anglers, and it uh, eventually it benefits everybody that's that picks up a rod and reel absolutely the last time i think we had you on a few months ago you thought that the state of the bass fisheries across this country were as good as they ever were the best best right now can we maintain that 
I think so. Uh, we've got some issues. Obviously, there's there's some problems that are that, that pop up, uh, different issues in different states, different parts of the country. Um, but that's where working together with the, the angling organizations, the industry, groups like ASA, uh, and, and the state fish and wildlife agencies, I, I think we've got a really good chance of, of maintaining the quality that we see right now, despite the the potential we see for increased fishing pressure. If if the, all of those people that went fishing last year during the pandemic decide they want to keep fishing and 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 get more involved, then uh, you know we're going to see increased fishing pressure on on all of our waters, and it's going to be uh, a task for the, the agencies and everybody involved to try to maintain the quality of that fishing. And that's a good point. We, as business people, we want to retain every customer we can as uh, caretakers of this phenomenal resource we have. We want to, we want to protect it and, and how many are too many. And, and that, that's a really good point because I think that's something that goes on thought about. And, you know, is there any suggestions that we, we have there or we just got to play this out to see how many end up staying in our, in our sport? Well, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people went fishing last year because they didn't have anything else to do. Uh, and and it was a good, healthy activity. They could get outdoors. They didn't have to be afraid of, of crowds and so on. And now that things are starting to open up, uh, I, I think that one of the things that we've always talked about in terms of recruiting or retaining anglers is they need mentors. They need people to help them learn and grow in the sport. And this is a perfect opportunity now for for the more experienced anglers to reach out to those people that maybe went first fishing for the first time last year or, or for the first time in a long time and, and call them up and say, hey, uh, let's go fishing. You know, t- let's let's get somebody out there and we can, you know, try to try to stoke that fire that started last year and, and get those people involved so that it's not just a one time deal. They, they get to go fishing on a, uh, several times, and that's that's what really gets people, you know, quote, hooked on the sport of fishing is it's not a one-time event. They, they need to be exposed to it several times, and, and that's when they'll really uh, fall in love with the sport and, and start to grow in it and, and stay involved. Good, good uh, point, and uh, I'm sure that's one of the reasons with information like that why you have... Uh, been are going to be inducted into the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame. Uh, Gene Gilead, I'm glad you, you uh, made time to be on the program, and I'm sure it won't be the last time we get to talk to you. Thanks for being on the We Fish ASA podcast again. Well, thank you very much, and appreciate it anytime. I'll uh, be glad to be glad to be on. Uh, we appreciate you, Gene. Thank you very much. This uh, segment of the We Fish ASA podcast is brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote, and we will be right back after these messages. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, 
we are here for you. Calcutta, we're an outdoor coastal trading company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. Born in the back of a Florida bait and tackle shop, Calcutta was created with a rebellious spirit and a goal to offer hardworking outdoor products at a reasonable price. Calcutta builds the products that fit your lifestyle. We're on a mission to help you reclaim your free time and to declare mutiny on the mundane. Depend on Calcutta gear and apparel. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Petula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I am Steve Sarley. My partner Dave Kranz is remote. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. Please help them ensure the future of fishing by visiting keepamericafishing.org. It only takes a minute. It's very easy. doesn't cost you anything. We need your help to keep this sport going. You know, if you're an industry professional, please consider joining the ASA by visiting asafishing.org. We've got a true professional on the line. One of my favorite guys, he, he has a lot of fun fishing when I see him in tournaments or on TV. Uh, he gives a great interview. He's a good teacher. Uh, all around good guy, but man, oh man, can he put walleyes in the box. He is the one and only Chase Parsons. Welcome, Chase. How are you? Hey, doing great, Steve. Appreciate you having me back, Matt. Hey, I, I always got to talk to you because everybody everybody knows this. You come from, uh, uh, yeah, let's say, the first family of walleye fishing. You know, it it starts and uh, stops with the name of Parsons. And I want to talk to you about uh, your relatives and how they help. So, so uh, how big of an effect did your mom have on your career? Oh uh, yeah, I, I mean honestly. Oh know, man, I can't even. I can't. Parents. I can't throw you. No matter how I try, who else? Who's <laughs> ever? Whoever asked you about your mom and fishing for Pete's sake? Yeah, I know. I know. No, I, I mean both my parents. I, you know, my mom is my mom supported me all the way through my career as well too. And and I mean I've had a pretty long career now, Steve. I'm, I've been doing this for eighteen years. It doesn't seem that long, but I'm. I guess you could say it's in it starting to feel old but yeah i mean between my old man who obviously taught me a lot about the industry and about fishing walleyes because he's been doing it for a long time and and then my mom just supporting me the whole way i mean it, i i even go back further than than fishing the tournaments you know when when dad was gone fishing all the time and traveling like i do now and i was back in school doing all the sports it was my mom that was taking me to all the sports and traveling around the country and you know i played a lot of basketball back then and a lot of golf and and she was the one taking me to most of that stuff so um i've been very blessed to have obviously a father that uh has helped me excel in this business but have a mom that's been behind me and uh supporting me the whole way so pretty pretty awesome family chase's dad is of course the legendary gary parsons uh, they don't come any better than than gary parsons when it comes to the world of walleye fishing and, and i'll tell you what what else uh 
your your dad is a genius, always has been a genius as far as marketing or running the business end of the sport. Uh, Gary Parsons and his partner, your uncle Keith Cavias, are, are just genius, yeah. just geniuses at getting us out there. They put together the Next Bite uh, uh, television show, a uh, uh, media conglomerate, and have uh, brought you in and, and taught you this stuff. I'm amazed when I go to something like an uh, uh, ICAST, which is the uh, National Fishing Tackle Convention. You see the booths with all these professional fishermen, and they're shaking hands and meeting the fans, and that's wonderful too. And I know you guys yeah. are. I know you guys are there because I've seen you walking in 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 the morning, and I, I don't see. I, I don't hardly see you on the floor in any boots at all. Persons, yeah, yeah, persons, so, persons, uh, and Kavias are in meetings all day. They're meeting with sponsors. They're meeting with the presidents of these tackle companies, boat companies. Uh, it, it's it's just high level negotiations. It, it's it's a whole different way of doing business than we're used to seeing in the sport. Yeah, it, it really is. And and one of the things, Steve, that, that you know, Dad and Keith obviously taught me right away is, uh, you know, what we do for a living isn't just about going out and fishing tournaments. Like you said, the ICAST meeting, and we've been, you know, at the Bassmaster Classic the last several years. And it's all about talking with companies. And it's not even, you know, year to year necessarily just negotiations. One of the things that we've been all lucky enough to be involved when with, in, with a lot of these big companies is product design. You know, whether it's walleye crankbaits or plastics or, or fishing line or any of this stuff and have a lot of input and uh, R&D work into a lot of the products that actually end up coming to fruition and, and are some of the best products on the planet. So that to me um, is, is one of the most fun parts about the industry. It's, uh, you know, working with the people who partner with you and, uh, and just trying to make better fishing products, honestly. So, yeah, uh, you know, a lot of my buddies say, God, it must be awesome to just go fishing for a living. And, and Steve, you're right. There's a lot more than just fishing. But, you know, the, the fishing end of thing, obviously, I get to do a lot of. And, uh, you know, the tournament fishing is still the most fun out of it. Hey, it, it, so. it, it, was, it was funny. You said Bassmaster Classic. You know, I was at the Classic, and I was like, I see uh, – uh, there, there's the Parsons group, and I go, wait a minute, yeah. this is the Bassmaster Classic. What are they doing here? They're being smart. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I, I remember I was talking to my friend Tommy Kimos, who you just beat at the first NWT yeah. event of the year. Well, I, Tom, Kimos is my roommate. So, yeah. uh, Tom, Tommy's, <laughs> yeah. Tommy's one of the nicest guys in the business. And uh, back a couple, I guess a couple of years ago now, when he said he was the first walleye guy to get sponsored by Strike King. And I yeah. go, wait a minute, Strike King's got a thousand guys they sponsor. First walleye guy, because the walleye guys don't break over into that bass world. And not that you have to be in that bass world, but you have to at least let these guys that sign the checks know, man, I sell baits. You know, I, I, well, sell, sure. I sell baits, and these baits catch fish. And, and, and you guys have done that for a long time, and it's nice to see it opening up and let other people add to the living that they make. Yeah, no question. I mean, you talk about Tom and being with Striking, and, you know, two years ago I signed with Striking as well. And, and, and here's the thing, Steve, I, I think some of the misconception about the industry in general is you can just go out and fish some tournaments, um, and if you win a tournament, you're going to have companies knocking on your door calling you, and that's just not even close to reality. You know, the, the, the thing is for, for anglers wanting to do this and, 
and to garner some sponsorships and some partnerships in the industry, you have to be able to, you know, present to these companies things that you can bring to the table. And, and in the end of everything is sales. If you have ideas on new products that you can help a company build, and those can be successful and help a lot of other people, not just tournament anglers, obviously, catch more fish, that's that's where your value is actually true. And, and believe me, um, winning a tournament's great. You get publicity, you get all this. I mean, I just won one last week, and uh, it's it's just not reality that these companies come to you because they deal with so many different anglers around the country. So we just try to put ourselves in the best position possible to help the companies out. Sometimes that is, you know, us traveling to a Bassmaster Classic. Well, you, you, you got to ask your old adage, you know, squeaky wheel gets the grease. Uh, yeah, everybody true. everybody expects that, man, my phone is going to be so busy, they're going to be all wanting me. <laughs> uh, you got to ask, and, and you got to ask well, and, and you just can't say, well, what do you need? I, I, wanna, I want you to give me some money and sponsor me. Why? Because I want yeah. a tournament. Okay, a lot of guys win tournaments. There's a lot of tournaments. Winning a tournament, you got to tell them how you're going to sell their baits. Or, or their rods, yeah. or their reels, or whatever, and you got to do it in a convincing yep. manner. Yep. I mean, you truly have to have a business plan, Steve. I mean, the, the guys who are successful in this industry treat the fishing industry like a business, not just a hobby where we go fishing. So there's nothing wrong with treating it as a hobby. A lot of guys do it, and that's fantastic, but uh, that's just not the way how we've done things. Yeah, and, and, and you treat it like a hobby, then then you go to back, and then on Monday morning you're back at work setting tile for a yeah. living. Yeah, there you, know, you go. You want yeah. to be you want to be a full time professional fisherman. It, it it takes a little bit different way of working it. Hey, I you know I I, I talked about Gary and your and your uncle and bring it a little closer to home. Uh, your wife Bridget is a, is a huge supporter of you yours, and I know that uh, the family travels when they can, right? Yeah, yeah. No, um, you know, talking about my my dad, mom, obviously. Um, they they were very important and still are to this day. But my wife, she's been with me since I've been 17, Steve. So, um, you know, I started doing this full time when I was 19 years old. So she's been along for the whole ride. So she understands how much I'm gone and what I need to do to, to be successful in this industry. And, and she holds the fort down. I mean, without question, she's probably the most important person in my life to be able to do this. Uh, and continue to do this and then yeah my, my boys you know uh logan and landon they're seven and nine years old now they're starting to turn into fishing machines also um you know i'm actually getting ready to fish a couple small uh smallmouth bass events up here uh the next two weekends and and they like it so much i think that i'm going to pull them out of school for a day this week to pre-fish with me so they're super supportive they love fishing um and, and my wife's just, uh, I, I couldn't ask for anything more on the home front. I, I, I've met your wife, and I think she's wonderful, and I know she works hard for you and supports you, and I, I think she's a great asset. And I know you're a big football fan, uh, so just just to, just to say this to people, uh, uh, as far as Chase's wife, Bridget, goes, uh, Chase has outkicked his coverage, to be sure. <laughs> Yeah, I've been told that a couple times. <laughs> yeah, yeah there's, there's, there's no, there's no doubt about that. I, I was looking on, I was looking on Facebook, and uh, John Hoyer, a guy I like, a friend of mine, 
complimented you at uh, at at this event, NWT event you won, and he said your son is mature, way beyond his years, and he was probably an asset in pre-fishing. Honest to goodness, that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. Like, no, no question. I mean, it's uh, there's a lot of things that have to come together um, for for tournaments to go well, and and sometimes it's young kids, sometimes it's just working with your teammates well. And uh, you know, Steve, you got to be honest. Like the, these tournament wins, they just don't come very easily. <laughs> <laughs> they, yeah, they really, really don't. I mean. Um, it, it takes a lot that comes together to end up closing the door and, and, and holding up the trophy. I mean, when you look at our fields, you know, there's 115 to 150 guys that are absolutely phenomenal anglers. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of overwhelming when you actually put one together, like what happened last week. And, and it was just cool when you look at how it kind of ended up, you talked about Tommy Kimos before he's my, He's one of the traveling guys that we travel with, and he's been a roommate all summer long. And the fact that we were able to go one and two in this first event to kick off the NW season was pretty incredible. Hey, you know, uh, uh, last family question. Then we're going to go take a break and then talk about the tournament. Uh, yep. And I'm looking at uh, Jason Shakur, at uh, uh, wonder, yep. wonderful, wonderful walleye fisherman whose son Jay is uh, is yeah. uh, getting into the world of bass fishing and, and doing pretty good for a, for a young fella. If uh, if one of your sons came to you when they got old enough and said, we want to be professional fishermen, uh, uh, going to enter some tournaments, uh, what do you think? Oh, by the way, we're going to uh, do the Bassmaster Opens or the lower level FLWs to start. Are, are you going to look at him and say, "What? The, where did I go wrong? How did I raise you? Bass fishermen, oh my goodness. Or is that okay? Yeah, no. And I, you know, I, I think it's okay. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty low key with the kids. I, you know, talking about Jason, I, Jason Shakir is one of my best friends, and I've known, I've known Jay for quite a while now, and and we actually jokingly call him Jed. Uh, that's what we actually call Jay, the kids. So we call him Jed, and and he's an absolute stick. I mean, I've seen him over the past few years, how good he's gotten, and. You know, if my boys decide they want to go on the bass road, that's perfectly fine. I mean, right now they're at the age where they like to catch anything that swims, right? Yeah. So, and, and I'm happy with that. And, you know, the reality is my sister's an ER doctor, and I would love for both those kids to become ER doctors and be as successful as my sister. Um, but, you know, if they end up trying to go the fishing route, I'll do everything I can to help them understand the business and do the right things just like my old man did so you just never know what's going to happen in the future but i could tell you this Steve, they really really love fishing <laughs> obviously obviously they have been raised well by our guest chase parsons we're going to take a real quick break uh, be right back with more of walleye champion chase parsons right after this You know, when I look at the tournaments I've won, probably four or five of the boats that I've won have been on a tube. But I had completely gotten away from flipping a tube because nobody, nobody made one soft enough. Big Bite has come with this new tour series of baits. The thing that's probably the most unique is when you look at that bait, the salt just rolls out of it. And to me, that is the reason a fish bites a tube and hangs on to it. This isn't one of those, let's go out and catch some smallmouth tube. This is a let's get it done tube. 
Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Petula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. The St. Croix story has evolved over 70 years. With gritty determination, St. Croix built the most advanced fishing rod facility in the world. And with it, a world-class brand that has earned the respect and admiration of anglers around the planet. We will continue to challenge ourselves, our employees, and our partners to be the best every day. We're proud to celebrate 70 years of passion and commitment to making the best rods on earth. St. Croix. We Fish ASA is back. I am Steve Surley. My partner Dave Kranz is not here. He is working remotely. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. If you'd be interested in becoming an advertising partner of the We Fish ASA podcast, please contact us through our website, wefishasa.com. Check us out on social media. We're certainly easy enough to find when you locate us on Facebook. Please check that you like us, follow us, and share our posts. We thank you for all of your support. We appreciate it. We appreciate this guy for being with us. One of the best walleye sticks in the business and a nice guy. Known him for a long time and... Uh, uh, I, maybe he's even getting nicer the longer he's out on the tour. I don't know. He's doing so darn well uh, and, and successful. He just fished a, uh, the, the opening uh, NWT uh, tournament presented by Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's. is out at uh, Chamberlain, South Dakota on a lake that is absolutely huge water. I think it's 102,000 acres, if I remember correctly, uh, going down to 140 feet. Uh, you hadn't been on that water in 10 years. You got a chance to pre-fish it, and you figured it out pretty quickly. Tell us about the water. What was it like? Where were the fish at in the uh, in the spawning cycle, and, and and how did you figure it out? Yeah, I, I mean, that's that's one of the things. You talk about all those reservoirs out west on that Missouri River system. They're all huge. I mean, the water is just absolutely huge. But, you know, that whole system, Steve, it has always fit my eye for a fishery every time I've been out there, even, you know, 15, almost 20 years ago. For some reason, I love the Missouri River system. I mean, I won one on Oahe, you know, about 9, 10 years ago, um, and I'm just confident out there. So it, the, the situation that we had going on is on Lake Francis Case is, is the system that we were on. It's a, it's a slot system like most of them out there where you can only weigh two fish over 20 inches. And it had been a long time since I've been on the system, and I remembered how tough the overs were to come by. So when I go into a tournament like that, I mean, really the key is knowing that you're going to have to have both your overs each day of the tournament to be able to compete for a win. Um, and... Obviously, some good unders as well, too, but those overs are really what pushes you over the top. So, really, the way I went about it, because it had been so long since I'd been there, the first couple days of practice, 
I just tried to find areas that were holding a lot of fish and fished them a couple different ways. I was casting relatively shallow, casting the rocks, uh, trolling lead core, a lot of different things, and just catching a pile of fish. But over the first four days of practice, I only caught one over, and it was maybe 20 and a quarter inches. Hmm. So, you know, it was just one of those things where you could catch a pile of fish, tons, 60, 70 fish a day if you wanted but it wasn't the quality and consistency that I felt like you needed to win the tournament. So um, it, what ended up happening is the final two days of pretty fish, uh, my, my buddy, we talked about him before again, Tom Kimos and I, um, we had days where we didn't have anyone uh, in the boat to pre-fish with, and we decided that we were going to fish together so we could cover small areas as fast as possible and try some off-the-wall stuff. So it's very rare that we hop in the boat together on pre-fish days, but we decided to the last two days, and we're in way south, the boat, you know, 60, 65 miles south of where we we're launching, which is definitely a long run, but something we're used to in the Missouri River system. Sure. And, and ironically, dumped our boat into a ramp, decided we were going to go check out way back in the bay that the ramp was at, and started seeing, you know, real shallow quick channels at the back of some of these creek arms that were holding fish. You could see packs of fish on your side scan, no problem. And not necessarily knowing what they are, we started casting stuff to them. And honestly, Steve, like that was a, it was almost kind of luck that we just decided to roll back there and look. And we threw plastics at them for about five minutes, never had a bite. And being that the water is cold and we were kind of right in the middle of the spawn, it's a no-brainer that live bait sometimes in some situations still works a little bit better. So just for the heck of it, I threw a fat head minnow on, made about two pitches, and caught a 21-and-a-half-inch. Oh. And, and it kind of opened up our eyes. We looked at each other, and our eyes got pretty big, and then we proceeded in the next about 15 minutes to catch four more from 19 to 22 inches. So... <laughs> We got pretty excited right away, and we're hoping that it was more of a pattern than just a spot thing, so we went looking the next day and a half of practice and just trying to go in the back of some of these bigger creek arms where there was deep water and the fish were definitely back there for the spawn, um, but back so far that we were going past where I think anyone would usually look. Uh, most of the guys were fishing rock points and things in these creek uh, arms, we were all the way back where it comes up real shallow and just really focusing in on the, the creek bed. That could be anywhere from two to seven feet of water only. And what happened is we ended up finding three more spots that were consistent just like that first spot we found. So for the tournament, we basically just split those spots up and we could tell that the bite was getting worse for the tournament, Steve. I mean, no question, we were on the tail end of that uh, pattern. There's absolutely no question because it was pretty brutal. I mean, the whole first day of the tournament, I believe I got 10 or 11 bites. And then the second day, um, I only got six bites actually pitching jigs the whole day. But wow. each day, I had my two good overs and I had good unders as well, too. So, you know, 65 miles upstream the vast majority of the guys in the tournament were rifling through 70 fish to try to figure out and get lucky catching one fish when the pattern we were on, at least a third of the fish we caught were over. So it was just something that required patience, 
and uh, you know, just believing in the program and 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 staying confident more than anything, just because it was tough. But it ended up working out pretty well. <laughs> Were Fatheads the only uh, live bait that you tried? Yeah, it, they they really were. I mean, we we figured it out so late in practice that once we figured it out, it was more about just trying to find enough areas where Tom and I wouldn't have to be fishing the same fish. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and and so that that was we didn't really switch it up too much. We'd roll into an area, grab the creek channel. If we saw a fish, we'd pitch to them. If we catch two or three walleyes, and we'd roll out of there. And what ended up happening in the tournament is a couple of those spots that we found, uh, the walleyes had moved out of there already where you didn't get any bites or you might have caught a pike back there or something like that. So it ended up coming down to two of the areas that still were holding some fish. But like I said, just brutally slow and methodical. But that's okay. I mean, it, 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 uh, it ended up working out well. We were confident we could get our big ones and – Really, the game changer for me on that one, Steve, is on day two. I ended up going to my first spot. I didn't get a bite. Went to my second spot. I didn't get a bite. And that can play minds with an ang- uh, mind games with an angler, right? Because I know guys trolling up north probably had already went through 30 fish. And I hadn't even gotten a bite yet. But I rolled into my third spot and caught a 27-incher. So that what? right there calms your nerves and basically just says all i need are four more bites the rest of the day and i'm going to have a bag that gives me a chance and it ended up happening and uh it was it was a lot of fun i mean it really really was it was stressful one of the most stressful tournaments i've ever fished but uh i'll be honest coming in i thought it was probably going to be a little bit short with weight um until we figured out that all the guys north had a tougher day as well too so um, you know, those slot tournaments can go, I, I've, I've been beaten down by those slot tournaments, oh, they're tough. Those little big, big fish back. And also I've, I've gotten the other side of it where they help me out too. So things have to flow right. And it just happens that they definitely did. It shows it's really a thinking man sport. Uh, there, there's more to it than catching fish uh, on that slot limit thing. And, and even worse than that is if you end up being in a no-cull tournament uh, where, yeah. where well, once, once it's in the box, exactly, it stays in the box. That's exactly what that one was. Yeah, well, this, wait, this the, was a slot no-call tournament. Slot so no, no upgrade. No-call yep. is is brutal because, you know, you, you, you guys are putting fish back because they're going to get bigger ones later, and then you don't get bigger ones, so now you're short of your limit. And But I caught my limit. No, you didn't catch your limit because you put them back, you know. Uh, yep. That, yep. that, that is so, so difficult in that. Uh, well, it's tough. It, it, it basically forces you to try to have a crystal ball, and let's face it, I don't think any of us really do. How were your, <laughs> co- your co-anglers? Uh, co-anglers were great. Yeah, I had uh, I had a guy the first day, actually from Illinois, um, really nice guy. Um, and I think both my co probably thought it was a little bit crazy because we were going, you know, so far when most of the guys were staying right close to the launch. But, uh, you know, they were, they were very good in the boat. Honestly, I, I can, I can understand how in a bite like that, co-anglers probably come in and expect to come catch a lot of fish during the spawn. Uh-huh. And even if they're little, just have a lot of action and have more fun. But both my guys stayed super focused 
and um, and you know fist hard the entire time and and by the end of the day they were both really happy but yeah there were times two two and a half hour gaps where where we had no bites so it was mentally draining but uh i love both I, the guys i had both the guys i had were great in the boat i love co-angling and i think it's the best investment you can make it's, it's the co-angling you get in a boat with some of the best pros in the world uh, and, and and the bass world doesn't have that at the higher levels anymore. So you got to go to walleyes for that. And, and I, yep. I imagine it's uh, it's uh, worrisome saying I'm going to get you know I worry about getting a bad partner. I worry about getting somebody that can't fish. And uh, I you know in Wisconsin if it's a five fish limit, uh, one fisherman's got to catch three. The other guy got to catch two. So so as a pro, you've got to hope that your amateur can catch two fish. And also now there's a uh, pressure the pressure of that and a, a lot of this is you know I said it's a thinking man sport it's not just catching fish or pitch, picking the right bait there's a lot other to it and and I, and I think it's important you said pike uh, you're it's another thing that separates walleye from bass you go bass fishing you're pretty much catching bass you might hook into a pike or a muskie or uh, a large crappie something and go oh no I don't want this I mean I like to catch fish but Please yeah. don't don't cut my line. I don't want to have to tie. I don't want to. I don't want to waste the time releasing this fish. It, it's it's a different sport, isn't it? Yeah, it, it sure is. I mean, it, it's it's always been the running joke kind of my whole life. Is we've always joked with the bass guys that you know it said bass guys are just guys that can't catch walleyes, right? <laughs> and, and, and and I mean that's just joking around. I I fished bass enough to know that boy they can sure be tough too, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that we deal with is walleyes can be super, super shallow anytime throughout the year and also super deep. So I think that overall the walleye as a species is a harder patterning fish to figure out than what any of the bass are or any of most other species. And But that's also what makes it real fun, Steve. I mean, sure. Really like, you know, you catch a bike, you catch a, I like getting bites still. I'm 37 years old now. And yeah, I was fishing a tournament for walleyes, but boy, every time I feel something thump a jig, it's fun. Yeah, there it's you go. So that's fun. what it's all about. That's well, fishing. That's that's what it's all about. Hey, hey um, man. Hey, man. Thanks for thanks for being with us. Congratulations on winning that uh, uh, NWT in South Dakota. I, I'm sure you're going to catch more checks this summer. We'll talk to you again. And best of luck going up to Sturgeon uh, uh, to fish smallmouth. I think you guys are going to do real well. We'll talk about that later, too. Uh, God bless yeah. God bless you and your family. Stay healthy, and we'll talk to you soon, Chase Parsons. I appreciate it, Steve. You have a great one. We appreciate you. Take care of yourself. Chase Parsons, is he something else or what? Boy, that guy can catch walleyes. That wraps up this week's edition of the We Fish ASA Podcast, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. I'd like to thank today's guest, Dan Johnston, our regular visitor, Gene Gilliland, Bass Master Director of Conservation, New addition to the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame. I'd like to thank our sponsors, St. Croix, the best rods on earth, Calcutta, makers of a line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion, Daiwa, take a look at the new Tatula Elite Reel, you'll love it as much as we do. Remember that We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. It's available everywhere you listen to podcasts, we're easy to find. Don't forget, you can always visit us and hear the podcast at wefishasa.com. If you like what you hear, please let us know. If you don't like what you hear, we're big guys. We can take it too. We answer all of our emails, so let her rip. 
I'm Steve Surley. My partner's Dave Kranz. We'll see you next week now. Let's go fishing. I'm professional angler Kevin Van Dam, and people always ask me, what's the best and easiest way to catch fish? Well, that's simple. Keep our waterways clean and free of litter. You know, tossing your worn out lures in the lake is not a winning move. Pitch them in the trash. Do your part and join me. Visit KeepAmericaFishing.org and pledge to pitch it.